0: Welcome to the Growth Cap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. In this episode, we chat with Andrew Dudum, the founder and CEO of Hims & Hers, which is an online healthcare platform providing products and services to millennials and others. Hims & Hers recently became public through a SPAC transaction. It was acquired by Tree Acquisition Corp. in January of 2021, in a deal valuing the company at $1.6 billion. Today, just a few weeks later, the company's market cap has risen to approximately $4.5 billion. What's incredible about the HIM story is that the company was founded just three years ago, and in a very short amount of time, it has grown to $140 million in annual revenue has run more than 2 million telehealth visits and operates at a 70% gross margin. Perhaps what's even more incredible is the seemingly unlimited runway for the company in the years ahead. We are still in the early innings when it comes to online healthcare offerings for today's connected consumer. As for the estimated market size? About $4 trillion. We hope you enjoy the show. So Andrew, thanks so much for taking the time. It's good to be with you here and excited to dig in a little bit on experience, uh, your background. But first off, congratulations on becoming a, a newly public company. Maybe to start, just for our audience, can you give a little bit of a quick overview of Hims, I guess Hims and HERS, and then we'll just chat from there.
1: Yeah, you bet. Well, thank you for having me. First off, it's awesome to be on here. So HIMS and HERS uh, is a new public company trading on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker HIMS. And what we do is bring great access to healthcare to pretty much anybody in this country. So you can go to the 4 or the forhers.com website. No matter if you have insurance, no matter how much money you have, doesn't matter. You just click a button and you can immediately get connected to a specialist doctor for all of the things that we as men and women in this country are worried about. Things like acne, things like sexual health issues, things like sleep, mental health, anxiety, and depression. So you click a button, you get connected with a specialist, and then you're able to use telemedicine from the comfort of your couch, from the comfort of your home, to interact with this doctor in five or 10 minutes and get whatever treatments or medications you need and have those prescribed and shipped to your door. And it's just this really seamless, beautiful, consumer experience that's just dedicated to giving people direct access to you know specialists in healthcare and to make it incredibly affordable. So it's on average 20 or 30 bucks every time you come to him's and hers on a monthly basis for whatever medication and consultation you need. And it's really just disrupting the healthcare space in a way that is removing so many of the middlemen and so many of the people that take margin, pulling them out and having customers go direct to the doctors and direct to the medicine in a way that's just far more easy and far more affordable.
0: And and I think disrupting is the right word given how quickly the business has ramped. It's just outstanding how over the past 3 years and you're still a young company but yet you're now valued at 4 billion which is, you know, incredible. You know, what's really fascinating here, take us back to how kind of the idea was conceived because you know the healthcare products market, you know, is one that's fairly well established. And so you you must have had some a very unique insight into your angle into the market and how you would kind of be able to quote unquote, disrupt and scale this quickly.
1: Yeah. I think there's two elements to that. You know the first is that when you actually look at the healthcare space, it's the largest multi-trillion dollar industry in the United States that really has yet to be disrupted by modern technology, right? It's an industry, $4 trillion. The experience that we use, you know, hundreds of millions of us every week is something that was built around 50 or 60 years ago, and it really hasn't adjusted since that point. And so when you think about every other aspect of our lives, you think about commerce, you think about food, you think about real estate, finance, transportation. There have been digitizations of each of those industries in ways that create On-demand access, right? Completely transparent access, affordable access, and the ability to, you know, use companies that have high MPS and are beautiful and experiences you love, right? And you can put your dollars towards experiences in all of those other industries that you love. In healthcare, you still can't do any of that, right? It's not on demand, it's not transparent from a pricing standpoint. It's not beautiful, it's not seamless. It takes hours, it takes weeks to schedule an appointment. Half of the families in this country can't even afford the deductibles on their insurance plans. And then you've got stats like 80% of rural counties are considered primary care deserts. That means there's not even a doctor within a two-hour drive of these counties. So you know, the health system is everything but modern, right? It's confusing. It's complicated. It's got all types of perverse incentives. And so as an entrepreneur, when I look at that, I just see massive opportunity to rebuild the system. You know, rebuild the system for consumers in a way that we expect modern day technology companies and consumer brand companies to behave like we have in every other aspect of our life. So I think that was really a foundational thesis that I had when starting the company. And then the other unique part about this business is, you know, it's my belief that if you're going to build the future of the healthcare system, you have to start by building a, a business and a brand. That caters to the future population in the healthcare system, which means the young people. Right. So Him's and Hers has a brand and a voice and an experience that really does intend to energize and cater to those in their teens and their 20s and in their 30s. And so for anyone that's seen, you know, our New York City subway station takeovers or our Snoop Dogg TV commercials or whatever it is. You feel this irreverence, this fun, this energy behind the brand that really caters to this young demographic, because it's my belief that in 10, 20 years from now, that demographic is going to make up the majority of the healthcare spend in the United States. If I'm going to build for the future, I need to build for where the puck is going and build for this young demographic. And the thing that you really see with these young people, which no, no surprise, I'm only 32, so I'm in that bucket is their expectations of healthcare and technology are so different from those that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. I mean, it's wildly different. They expect it anytime they want it. They want to click a button. They get it. It's beautiful. It's seamless. It's affordable. They want it all digitally native, all telemedicine based. You know, That's just what they expect. And so that's really who we're building for. And that's who I really think the future of the healthcare system is going to be made up of. And I think that's in part to kind of talk about the first thing you mentioned in how we've grown so fast. We have done over 2 million and approaching 3 million medical visits on our platform just in the last couple of years. And if you put that in perspective, Teladoc, which is an amazing leader in the public markets in the healthcare space, it's almost a $40 billion company. It took Teladoc 13 years for them to power their first 1 million medical visits. We did our first 1 million medical visits in the first 12 months of operation. So, there's just this huge, unprecedented amount of energy, excitement, growth that's coming from our business, and I think a big part of it is that key insight around digitizing the experiencing it, making it digitally native, making it beautiful, and then catering it to that young demographic.
0: And I guess part of the catering is, you started off with products that are, I guess, most appropriate for that demographic. So, I mean, maybe we could talk about that. So, the, the first, I guess, series of products were related to things that people don't like to normally talk about. It's, I guess, a little bit tougher to figure out a solution for these uh, situations.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, when you go and talk to you know, men and women in their 20s, And we did this. We talked to hundreds of people and and did customer insight work. And you figure out really at the core, what are the three or four things that people are really worried about at that age with regard to their health? Turns out none of us are particularly unique, right? It's, you know, everyone's worried about their hair. And when you're in your early twenties, a third of men are losing their hair. And that's terrifying, right? Because we're trying to establish careers and jobs and partners. And all of a sudden this The sign of aging starts occurring and we have no idea how to fix it or stop it. And that's scary. Uh, You know, we're not sleeping well. People are concerned about their sexual performance or birth control or UTIs or STDs. They're concerned about anxiety and depression. We just launched a full mental health suite where you can talk to a psychiatrist within like 10 minutes and get the medication you need for things like, you know, severe anxiety or depression. So it's those areas. And a lot of those are stigmatized you know, that the young demographic really struggles with. Uh, and so, you know, given the the thesis and the bet of the company, it was imperative that we launched first with the conditions, as you mentioned, that this group of people really worry about and then make it really simple to solve. So that's really why we started with so many of those conditions. And obviously, we've expanded really greatly since then. But that early focus, I think, was really key. Mm-hmm.
0: And then how do you, you know, you have a subscription-based model. And is it such that, folks going onto the platform would realize, well, you know, we do have a kind of a recurring need to access kind of the information and products that you provide. So you're able to effectively offer them a subscription type service. Yeah,
1: that's right. So, you know, 90% of the business's revenue is recurring. It's a subscription-based system. And that's because what people realize is when they come to hims and hers and they're worried, let's say about acne, you know, you're 25, you're experiencing acne, you can buy a monthly regimen, which is a customized formulation for your skin, all prescription grade product with a dermatologist that's in your pocket that you can talk to anytime and adjust that formulation and have all of that, including moisturizers and, you know, the appropriate cleanser that matches shipped to your door for something like 20 bucks. And, you know, these are the types of conditions for the most part that are chronic in nature, right? You use these products monthly, you're adjusting them with your dermatologist, you're talking to your dermatologist every couple of months, tweaking it. And so I think that really lends itself well to a subscription model, which is why you see the vast majority of our customers, vast majority of our business being that recurring chronic condition management, um, because most of the things on our platform like acne or like anxiety and depression, as an example, are things that you need to keep working on and keep getting treated on a monthly and quarterly basis. Mm -hmm.
0: And and currently, how's the business split between the HIMS and the HERS? I I haven't dug into the prospectus. Can you talk about where it sits today and where you think it's headed?
1: Yeah, you know, we launched HERS relatively uh, recently, so the majority of the business still maintains to be the Hims business, right, because it's much, much older. But you have really nice diversity in the business across all of these categories. And I think that's a really core pillar of what we're building here, which is a you know, HIMSS and HERS healthcare platform, which means you have a big business in dermatology, a big business in sexual health, a big business in mental health. Right. And then every year, as we continue to expand, we introduce one, two, three completely new conditions and new categories. And sometimes that's on the him side and sometimes that's on the her side. And so what you'll expect from us as you continue to grow the next few years is just continued diversification. You know, more things that people in our audience are concerned with, things like high cholesterol, things like infertility, things like diabetes, pre-diabetes in your 30s and 40s is a big problem. So continue to expand into those areas. Uh, and I think for the most part, you'll see just uh, you know further, further diversity across the business as you keep expanding like you've seen in the last couple of years.
0: And, and do you anticipate that you will retain him's and hers branding you know, throughout the company life cycle I mean I, I'm asking like too far into the future here but do you see, foresee ever kind of diversifying out the brands that are represented on the platform?
1: You know it's a great question. I think there's pros and cons to both. I believe in, in a unified opportunity under a, one brand that stands for health and wellness but there's also a tremendous amount of opportunities to say you know certain demographics of people would be better served in a brand that was truly dedicated to them. Maybe you're going after, let's say, you know, helping men with hypertension or high cholesterol. And that demographic, you know, is not really in their 20s and 30s. It's much more in their 30s to 50s, right? Is when you start to have those symptoms and, and need that medication and treatment. Does the HIMS and HERS brand extend to that? I think so, but it might require new extensions, right? It might require new dedicated efforts. You know, I think there's also completely new communities that we also want to service. You think about the non-binary community, right? The trans community, which doesn't beautifully sit into, you know, cisgendered hims, hers organization, right? That's a community that has a tremendous amount of need. There's a tremendous amount of stigma, tremendous amount of friction, lack of expertise around how to help that community when it comes to medical related issues. That's something that we'd be very well equipped to help with, and it probably doesn't fit under Hims and Hers. It probably fits under another brand, and so I think there's a lot of extension opportunity. I think for the most part, you'll probably see it under the one unified brand, but I do think there are going to be circumstances that we go and, and expand further past it.
0: Mm-hmm. Speaking with you and listening to kind of the the ideas you have, you know, really brings about this idea of you know you're always thinking of the next thing, and it kind of links me to this. You know, what Jeff Bezos said recently, in, in that it, it's always day one and he's always inventing. And for our audience members, your background is fascinating because you've founded multiple things and you're still young. You've founded kind of a venture capital firm, you've founded other businesses. Do you continuously just have new ideas and you're able to execute quickly? Can you share a little bit about how you've done what you've done? you know, in kind of this short amount of time from when you graduated to present day?
1: I have a 15-year career of being an early stage operator and entrepreneur, right? So I started a fund with great co-founders backed by Peter Thiel and Mark Andreessen in my early 20s. It was a couple hundred million dollar fund, continues to exist today, annual fund where we incubate and build our own companies we don't invest in outside ideas we invest in our own ideas and we would prototype 20 30 of them a year and actually launch four or five of them a year and then use our own capital to build and and scale those businesses so in the last decade you know i've co-founded probably a dozen businesses a number of them will probably go public in the next few years and i think i've just gotten you know uniquely exposed to rapid execution rapid iteration rapid mvp testing Disqualifying early theses and then, and then you know testing new ones. And what I think about hims and hers, I really think that what we are as a public company is a healthcare innovation investment, right? We are a three-year-old company doing you know 130, 140 million in revenue in our third year, but it's like the first batter of the first inning of a 15-inning baseball game, right? You're talking about the next 10 years of healthcare innovation and you're talking about probably 80% of that 4 trillion dollar market getting moved to a digital health platform like hims and hers that's a huge huge opportunity and so you know what i have instructed my team and what i've kept in our dna is this rapid execution you know, continuous testing, new category expansion, new brand expansion, new audience expansion, because there are so many people that need help. And there's so many different distinct issues that people need help for that. It's just the beginning. And it's really, it's this really fun place to be. And so, you know, I think what my super skill is, is the manifestation of that testing culture, right? I've built a whole organization of, of doing that in the last decade, and that is the DNA of our business. And so, you know, when we go up against these large incumbent healthcare players, that's why we're able to out-execute in a lot of situations. I think that's our secret sauce. And I think it's just really critical for us to maintain that in the next three, five, six, seven, ten 10 years, right? As we continue to expand and scale.
0: And was there a question of whether or not you would become public, the pros and cons of going public at this time versus further down the road? What kind of prompted you to go ahead? You know, I understandably, the SPAC route is faster and more fluid, but like, you know, the decision to go public now, what prompted it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the honest decision to go public was because as a public market investor myself, i don't see opportunities like hims and hers in the public markets and i would want to invest in those opportunities just from like a basic first principle standpoint i think in the last 10 years you know the valley and innovation and technology has been removed from the public markets right there's been a culture of let's stay private as long as possible let's build in the private markets there's capital it's easy to raise we don't have to you know live under the spotlight and the rigor of the public markets and as a result the public markets have in a lot of ways i think excluded from investing in fast growth innovation which is why you see all of the money moving to You know, Vanguard funds and Amazon and and Google and Microsoft and Facebook and, you know, Netflix, because there's not a lot of other places to put your money, which is technology first innovation investments. And so, as a public market investor, being able to invest in a company that is growing, you know, last year, whatever it was, 80% year over year with 100% year over year growth historically. In its third year of operation, that has 76% gross margins and nearly 100% of its revenue recurring. You know that's an opportunity that I would love to invest in. And I think when you layer those two dynamics—the fast growth and the efficiency of the business—on top of the fact that it's an industry that is nascent, you know, but expanding so rapidly. In five years from now, there could be 10 or 20 companies that are 20 or 30 billion dollars in healthcare. And it wouldn't surprise me at all, right? Just because it's so big and it's all moving so quick. So when you have an opportunity to invest in an innovative market with a team that has that track record of execution, that's just really exciting. And I think I think the public market investors are going to be really thrilled with it. I think they've been looking for things like that for a long time. And so I'm excited to be able to build in the public markets and scale in the public markets. And I think a lot of people forget that most of the biggest companies in the world went public within just a few years of being launched. You know, Amazon, Apple, Google, you know, these companies didn't stay private for 10, 15, 20 years. They went public after just three, four, five years. And so I think there's this real advantage to being in the public market, telling the story about the vision And learning as a company how to weigh and value and kind of incur trade-offs of high growth and efficiency that the public markets require.
0: I know we're coming up on time here, but maybe to close out, we could hear your thoughts on the future of HIMS in the context of growth, meaning you're continuing to grow very quickly. You've got, you know, seemingly unlimited runway here in terms of market size. How do you balance that with profitability? Or do you even bother to think about profitability? Your margins are fantastic. You can plow a lot back into future growth. How how long do you do it for?
1: You know, it's a great question. I think about that really on an incremental basis, right? As long as the incremental dollar that you are deploying is driving that return you keep deploying and it's just a straight math question you know this is not an industry and this is not a moment as a company where we need to be profitable next quarter it, you know with 300 million on the balance sheet and uh, you know an industry that's exploding with opportunity and with profitable places to deploy that capital, I would argue it would make no sense to be profitable at all. now at the same time, I also think it makes no sense to light money on fire, right? And so you always need to make sure that the incremental dollar is actually getting you that return you, you need and be throttling it more aggressive, less aggressive as the market conditions and, and as the dynamics change. And so I think you'll see us do that. I think there are a lot of places we continue to invest and accelerate growth into, but you'll always see us do it with financial rigor and prudence in a way where you know in, in no manner are we getting to a point where we're just exploding and burn without any quantifiable measurement of you know why that makes sense? So, I think it's always about finding that balance. But I think we, as you mentioned, are inherently blessed in that our business has naturally very high margins. Right, We're a 76% gross margin business. It allows us to invest in growth and allows us to invest in the future. I, mean, I think that's very much what we're doing.
0: Got it. Well, thank you so much for your time, Andrew. This has been uh, a pleasure.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.